Welcome to Dropping In, a podcast of storytelling and interviews with your host, Winter Olympian Mercedes Nickel. Thank you so much for dropping in today. This is series 11, which is a bit different than what I normally do. This series, I have ChatGPT interviewing me. So you will get an in-depth interview with me. So it's me asking the questions that ChatGPT, which is AI, artificial intelligence, has brought to me. Um, And... uh, I'll be answering them. So it's a lot of Mercedes on this series, but uh, I haven't done it since episode one. So here we go. This is episode 92. We will be talking about training and preparation. Now, the previous series, you may have listened to episode 90, where I talk about early influences and my beginnings in sports. Um, Episode 90, you can kind of going. This is a little bit of 92, training and preparation. Now, it wouldn't be dropping in if I didn't do the rapid fire. So here we go. I mean, I've already done two of them. I don't know if I'll keep going, but I also might add these to the um, YouTube um, show notes there so that you guys can answer them yourselves because I'd love to hear your guys' feedback on what you think that your rapid fire answers would be. Um, but before we do that, let me just tell you the goal of this one is, uh, talking about training and preparation to give you insights into the dedication and hard work it requires to excel in snowboarding. We'll see what ChatGPT comes up with with questions and who knows what my answers are going to be because I haven't really looked at these questions. I definitely haven't looked at the rapid fire again. Using AI to ask me all these questions is super interesting. I hope you've enjoyed it so far. Let's get started on the rapid fire. Number one, time machine destination. If you could use a time machine to attend any historical event, which one would you choose? Holy mole. Oh, I'm, I'm like old, but I'm not that old. Has, oh, maybe Woodstock. I don't know. That's the first one that popped to my mind. <laughs> I'm like too honest for my own good on here, I think sometimes. Um, <laughs> that's super bad. I don't know. That seemed cool, Woodstock. Uh, number two, superhero alter ego. If you had a superhero alter ego, what would your superhero name and power be? Name? I'm blah. I don't know. That seems like a silly question. What would my power be? I think we already talked about teleportation but that's not really a superhero power strength so i could like kind of like superman that's not very original but and what would my name be i don't know i'm gonna leave it to you guys to figure out a name there i already have an eccentric name mercedes ogilvy nickel (laughs) superhero no uh Three, dream collaboration. If you could collaborate with any one person living or dead on a creative project, who would it be and what would you create? You're really asking me tough questions, ChatGPT. If I could collaborate with anyone and I'm trying to make it rapid, even though they're never rapid, um, who would I collaborate with? In my in my round table, dead or alive, I said pink Michelle Obama and my grandma. Who would I want to collaborate with on something creative? I mean, I guess it would be having a guest on my podcast. Who who is my like 
aha to have on my podcast. I mean, it wouldn't be, this sounds probably cliche to have like Oprah on or someone like that. I think I'd still want to choose like pink. That would be, I feel like creative things would come about. Um, to all the Taylor Swift fans, I'm not neglecting her. I'm just not as a huge Swifty as you are. I mean, she's a freaking amazing human and I would have her in a heartbeat on this podcast or to do something creative with her. So there's so many amazing humans out there. It's hard to choice, choose. Um, number four, unusual pet choice. If you could have any mythical creature as a pet, what would it be and why? A baby pet dragon. I don't know. That just came to my head. Like a little pet dragon. That would be really cute. Now I feel like that's coming from um, oh, Game of Thrones, but like a nice tiny pet dragon that stayed small. I don't know. <laughs> what would you have as, as that? Okay. Number five, celebrity chef dinner. If a celebrity chef offered to cook you a meal based on your favorite ingredients, what would you ask them to prepare? Okay. Well, I'm lactose intolerant, so that makes things a bit tricky, but I love cheese and I love cream. I love all the lactose, everything. I'm going to like skew this one and say, who would I want my celebrity chef to be? I think I'd want Jamie Oliver. I love his his stuff. He he does a really good job. What would I want him to prepare? I mean, I would ask him just to do whatever he thought would be in season and without dairy. Sometimes tricky, but delicious, I'm sure. Uh, number six, invention time. If you could invent one thing that doesn't exist, what would it be? a teleportation machine that was free for everyone so everyone could explore the world <laughs> that'd be cool <laughs> i'm not really being like original if you've been listening to these um number character sidekick which movie character would you want as your loyal sidekick in real life what movie character would i want as my sidekick I mean, not Dory. I mean, she's so lovely, but she's very forgetful. She's really kind. I think I just watched Finding Nemo. That's why I said that. I'm tr I'm like thinking of like um the Marvel movies now. What, who would I want as my sidekick? I mean, Ant Man. He's pretty funny. We would have some giggles. Let's do that. Ant Man. <laughs> I am a Marvel fan. Uh, okay uh number eight secret talent oh no we've already had that question oh that's that's too bad chat gpt i asked you to ask me questions that had not been asked before secret talent do i have any other ones other than that tongue one i shared with you um i don't know i like to paint i don't know that many people know about that but during my recovery from 2018 18, no, 2014 crash, I uh, picked up painting again. And actually, that's how I graduated through high school. Um, thank you, Miss Nori, who I had on this podcast before. <laughs> we did a lot of art together. So maybe that's my secret talent that no one really knows about. Though I do have an Instagram page on it, Mercedes Nickel Art. Number nine, dream home location. If you could have a house anywhere in the world, where would it be and what unique feature would it have? That's two questions, Shepity. Where would I – okay, where would I have my dream house? I would have my dream house like on a big plot of land 
um, so that I could grow food and everything like that. I'm almost thinking like I haven't been everywhere in the world, but I do like the countryside of the UK right now. That's really popping into my head. Um, what unique feature would it have? It would have a gardener that would help me learn how to grow food properly for myself. <laughs> Maybe like if we're dreaming big, like real big, which everyone should, like a helicopter pad, um, a pool, like all these things, and then houses for my friends to come visit all the time. There we go. Dream big. <laughs> Number 10, personal theme song. If you had a life if your life had a theme song, what would it be and why? See, when songs are like asked to be plucked from the sky for me, that is not easy for me to come up with like what I think that song would be. Cause like I think of, I think of like my 2006 first Winter Olympics, which I will be getting into in this series. Um, I was listening to Single Ladies by Beyonce. I mean, that's still true. I'm still single, but. I don't think that's a theme song. I don't know. I think it would, I'd want it to be something fun and bubbly. I'll have to get back to that one. Like I'd like to go through my list and be like, what's a good theme song for my life? I don't know. <clears throat> All right. Let's get into it. That was the rapid fire. Um, let's get into the theme of, of this, training and preparation, which I begrudgingly kind of – said yes to doing this one because if I think back to my training when I was snowboarding, all I know is that I wanted to be on snow as much as possible. I was like, all right, how can I be on snow in the summer? How can I be in snow in the fall? Obviously, there's snow in the winter, but like I wanted to be on snow all the time. So let's see what ChatGPT comes up with. Number one question, Beyond physical training, what role does mental preparation play in your overall training routine, especially when gearing up for major competitions? I mean, I had such a long um, competitive career. I was honestly competing from the age of 15 to 34. So like there's a diverse amount of things that happened throughout that time and a lot of it was physical training, but like what mental preparation? I mean, I did a lot of breath work um, and a lot of visualizations. So a lot of the times visualization, um, we would have being on the national team, we would have like sports psychs come in and like tell us how visualization helped. And um, I would definitely use that as a factor because you only get a certain amount of time in the half pipe when you're training to be in the half pipe certain amount of runs so say you have like of training the day before two hours that's that's like maybe you could get in like i don't know an hour it takes 30 seconds to go down and then you have hike or take chairlift you could probably get in, I don't know, anywhere from like 10 to 15 or 20 runs in, in a, in a training session. And you kind of have to be strategic about that. So you have to like mentally prepare in that way of like, all right, what am I going to do? And you have to think about what tricks you want to try. You have to get used to the half pipe. No half pipe is the same. Even if you've been to the same half pipe before, it's always built differently. So that's always like a mental hurdle to get over. Um, but once you, kind of get your groove in, you know what line you want to take in the half pipe. 
then you got to get over those mental barriers of like trying to go big and then also trying to like scare the bejesus out of yourself doing tricks. So (laughs) a lot of preparation, like a lot of thought goes into what you're going to plan for the training day and it never goes properly. So you got to go with the ebbs and flow of it all. Um, number two, can you share specific mental exercises or strategies you use to stay focused and maintain a positive mindset during training and competitions? I love that the positive mindset was in there because I was like, first of all, I was going to say, well, we just talked about, um, visualization, which was pretty important. And then to stay focused, (laughs) if I'm at the top of the half pipe, I don't always want to be fully focused because like you really want to zone in on those like 30 seconds that you're actually in the half pipe at the very top. So like right before I would drop in, sometimes I'd be just like having a good time with friends. We'd be dancing like Tora and I would be dancing at the top of half pipe, listening to music. I would definitely have like music in um, just kind of trying to like stay positive and in that zone as well as like I don't know, trying to just get away from that moment where you're about to be really in the zone and serious um, and able to stay positive and really do what you need to do in that moment. Um, Yeah, so (laughs) that's a weird answer, like dancing and having a good time and smiling and just trying to stay positive. Um, Sometimes that's hard after you've like crashed in a run in, in your competition run and then you have another run to come up and do. So it's kind of sometimes nice to um, just shake it off and get your things together and uh, try and put a smile on your face because really I was there to have fun and uh, try and do my best. Number three, snowboarding involves a combination of skill, strategy, and courage. How do you strike a balance between honing your technical abilities and building the mental resilience required in competitions? Now, When I think of resilience, I think of this one time. I mean, it happened a lot in my career, but one that really stands out to me was um, the December before the 2018 Winter Olympics. My last competition was the 2018 Pyeongchang Games, and I had not tried in three years because I had two years out um, with concussion and just getting my body back together from 2014. I hadn't tried the trick that took me out and that was the backside 900. And to this day, that is like a core memory of mine standing at the top of the copper half pipe. Not that many people there. It was like, I remember Elena being there, Elena Height and Danny Davis. And I I don't even know if team Canada was there uh, or if I was just there on my own. And I was like adamant. I was like in my head, I was like, I am going to try this and it is going to suck and it is going to be mentally challenging because I know I have the skills to do this trick. I'd done it before my injury, hadn't done it after my injury yet. And so getting back up out there and trying to overcome that fear of (laughs) crashing again, which I had already crashed. I was okay to fall. Um, But just that one trick, it really got to me. And um, I just built that resilience in a way, like to answer that question. Um, But like seriously taking some deep breaths. I know I tried to go for it. I wimped out a couple times and then I like went for it, didn't get it. 
And I was like so beyond frustrated that I was like crying. I was so emotional. Um, I remember um, being like, are you okay? I'm trying. I am freaking the F out. She's such a sweetheart. She's such a good friend that, like, I don't know. I'm sure she wouldn't remember it, but I was, like, mentally exhausted and challenged, but I knew I wanted to do this trick. So I just went for it. And, like, again, once I once I got the full rotation around, I was just, like, bewildered with myself that I could to achieve that. Like, and that was a full moment of, like, you put your mind to it, you're going to freaking do it. Um, comes with a little nickel stubbornness, um, perseverance. But yeah, that was seriously a huge challenge. Um, I know we're not talking about challenges, but that's like, that comes with training and practice and having that body awareness um, and knowing that you've done it before and and kind of breaking through this this mental barrier of like, you're going to be okay. So yeah, crazy. I don't know. Not everyone would do what I did, but I, uh, I wasn't going to leave snowboarding in like, um, I didn't do that again. Kind of mind. I didn't land it very well. Let's, let's just say like I got the rotation around, but I kept landing on my butt because I was way too scared to go like above the lip. Like again, for those of you that are new to the half pipe, it's two 22 foot walls made of snow on an 18 degree pitch. So you're going up to huge speeds and I was like popping off the wall early and just landing in the flat bottom, which I was fine with. Like I knew I needed to take baby steps to get to where I needed to be. And you'll find out in the second Olympic series how that went. And if I ever landed it, that backside 900. Um, okay. Yes, so snowboarding is a combination of skills, strategy, and courage, for sure. Uh, are there specific challenges or obstacles you face during training? How do you do? How do you approach overcoming them? Okay, so training, yeah, a lot of the times you can kind of just spend a training session and really not get anything out of it, and I, I for sure had done that. Um, not feeling super confident in myself and also not in the half pipe sometimes. So as I said, like every half pipe that you get in is different. Um, and that's kind of a, a huge challenge and hurdle to get over. Um, some might call that an obstacle or a challenge as the questions asked me. Um, so that just takes time and getting used to it. And like a lot, like back in the day, there were no chairlifts that we would like take hot laps and and do the chairlift and ride the half pipe, we would just hike up the half pipe. So you could kind of watch everyone and see where they were going to get an idea of what might be the best line that you want to take. Um, but yeah, that that's a definite challenge. And then like overcoming that, just just trying to like persevere through through some some interesting snow times. Like we would. I don't know, for instance, the 2010 Olympics, not the best snow. We went from five days of potential training to three because it was freaking summertime in February in Vancouver, which is not normal. <laughs> um, so yeah, lots of obstacles, lots of like weather. And and a lot of the times um, at competitions in December and January and February, if it wasn't 
super hot where we were. It was snowing and windy. So those are huge obstacles to overcome and you need to have the proper wax on your board so that you can actually get out above the lip and do tricks. Um, But yeah, that's just preparation for sure. Uh, with the wind, I mean, oh, that's that's a whole nother ball game. It's, it's um, sometimes you can just wait it out and uh, and hope that you get like this thirty second window of no wind. But it's a challenge, Mother Nature. We do an outside extreme sport, and that's what you get. You know, you kind of like own up to that. It's all good. In terms of physical conditioning, are there particular muscle groups or skills that you prioritize in your training regime to enhance your performance? I'm going to be honest with y'all. I was that um, girl on the national team that was like, I don't jog. I I mean, I don't not jog. But I'm not good at it. I, I, I suck at jogging. I'm, I'm not great in the gym. I don't love going to the gym. Why do I have to do this? I would always ask that question, but why? Why do I have to do this? If I'm currently the top Canadian athlete, why do I have to run the beep test? What is that going to benefit me? And when I had an amazing shout out to Matt, shout out to uh, young Jeremy, like when I had amazing trainers, they would give me those answers. They'd be like, well, you're doing this so that you can prevent this from happening. And I was like, ah, thank you. Clarity. Um, but no, I was like a nuisance. I was like, I don't want, I don't, I don't understand the point of this. I'm not going to try. So when I was training, um, at a young age, I I did not do well on the beep test, which is like one of those tests where you start at one end of the gym. There's a specific amount of, um, length that you have to run to until the beep comes and you have to touch the line, get back to the other line, touch the line. And if you don't get there, when the beep happens, you're done. And I mean, I was no good at it whatsoever. I remember when I lived in Mammoth one time, I actually trained for it because I wanted to be better at it and prove people that I could do it, Um, (laughs) which was fine. It was totally fine. I hated every second of it. Um, But (laughs) back to the question, are there particular muscle groups? I mean, yeah, your legs need to be strong. Your knees need to be strong. A lot of squats, a lot of lunges. Um, once I was asked, they're like, what's your favorite, um, workout at right now? And, um, and, and my trainer, Matt had me doing these like clock lunges. Freaking loved them. I hated them at the time, but like so vicious and so good. So like you start at 12 o'clock lunging forward, lunge to the side, like you do like every hour of the clock and you lunge and backwards and then the next leg. And I just, I thought those were really great. And you really need all body strength. I didn't need as much upper body strength, which I, I'm working on now, which is super wild for me. Um, but yeah, your butt needs to be strong and so do your legs. Uh, a lot of the time though, when you're snowboarding, you're hiking and, uh, that, that also takes care of a lot of your cardiovascular as well as your butt and your legs and your hamstrings. Um, I remember when I was starting out snowboarding, I definitely would like tweak my ankles a lot, uh, just because of the way that I was landing and that I had soft snowboard boots and that's still a thing. You got to kind of just keep everything tight. (laughs) Just a well-rounded workout for sure that, that will, that will help. But there are, there were specific things, um, like as snowboarding became, um, more well-known in, 
that industry, we, we I didn't have to do the beep test anymore because they're like, yeah, no, actually, that's not going to be helpful for you. Yes, I feel like I won that one. <laughs> the freaking beep test. I'll be talking about that till I die. I hope not. Well, maybe I'll try it later. No, just kidding. <laughs> I had it though. Funny thing, I did have the beep test, which is literally like, you. I don't know if it was Australian or whatever it was. You may start the beep test now. And I had that on my like playlist. So sometimes it would come up and I'd be like, oh, I'm not ready. Yuck, yuck. So that was pretty funny for me. Um, how do you adapt your training routine different to different phases of the snowboarding season? That's a good question. Considering variations in weather, terrain, and competition schedules. Yeah, really good question. So a lot of heavy training during the fall and the spring. When you're on snow, you're not really – I wasn't training in the gym as much. But fall and spring, in my later career, when I was in the gym a lot, I would be in um, probably two days – oh, sorry, two days. Imagine. I was just in the gym two days a week. No, um, two times a day. So go in in the morning and then come back in in the afternoon after you're refueled. Um, hated it, but did it because I knew I needed to stay strong. Once the half pipes became 22 feet and I'd had my crash and even before my crash, I knew I needed to stay strong to be able to take the impact and also get the speeds that I needed to get um, to persevere through just riding the half pipe. Yeah. Um and then, yeah, in competition, you're kind of like doing a lot. So it's 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 more like recovery and stretching and stuff like that. I will always remember Justin Lamoureux, who I've had on this podcast, amazing athlete. Like he could freaking – he hikes so fast, like so fast. It's insane. Um, now he's a backcountry guide. I highly recommend him. Um, but he would <laughs> – He's a couple years older than me, and he would come home when we were in Colorado and just stretch for hours. And I was like, dude, what are you doing? <laughs> and now here I am, 39, and I'm like, I'm just going to go home and stretch. <laughs> so it does catch up to you. And like pre-training, like on the hill, we would do dynamic workouts like in the last quarter of my career. I'm like, warm up. We'll do one. Like snowboarding. We're just going to go like not really do it anything crazy so yeah change when you get older i will i will say that that much um okay share any pre-competition rituals or routines that you find crucial for getting into the right mindset before hitting the slopes fun fact i had an amazing reporter come up to the half by pre-2010 and ask me if i had like any pre-competition rituals or like really this this question and um <clears throat> What came out in the, I think I want to say the Vancouver Sun way back in the day. Because <laughs> 2010 was a long time ago now. Um, I said I had lucky socks, which I totally did. And they were just socks from Costco. But you know, if you get into that like mindset, I know this doesn't have to do with training. This I'll get, I'll get back to that. But like, you know, when you get in the mindset of like, man, I wore those socks and I had a really good run that day. I like a PB. Um... <laughs> Try and keep things consistent. Uh, I don't know. I'm sure that happens to a lot of athletes as well. Um, Pre-competition rituals or routines. I mean, I would probably say the visualization as well as um, just trying to like keep things light and fun right before the competition and then like zoom, get into the zone, um, which seems wild. But like I 
I, I was in the sport to have fun and I really wanted to keep that smile on my face. But when it was game time and I was like ready to drop in, I mean, it's, you gotta be in the zone. If you're not in the zone, then like you're not doing it right. And like by be, I didn't really figure out what being in the zone was until like I was probably late twenties. So I'd already been competing for a while. I'd been in the zone. I just didn't realize what it was. And for me, it's like, I can't hear the crowd. Um, I am so focused on the task at hand that like nothing else around me matters. I hope that I kind of shared that. Like, I, and I, and do you know when that came to me, which is super wild, is it came to me in the gym. And I was training um, just in uh, Chequemus in Vancouver at the athlete's gym there. And I was literally whipping one of these medicine balls against the wall. Um, and because you need that focus, like the ball's going to come back and hit you. And if you're not paying attention, it's going to get you. So, um, yeah, I was like, Oh, I just had this like moment where I was like, Whoa, I'm in the zone. Is that what the zone is? Okay. Okay. I get it. I get it. It just took me like 20 years to figure that out. <laughs> Anyways, that's that. Okay. As a professional snowboarder, travel is a significant aspect. That is true, chat BD. Chat GPT, it is true. How do you manage your training routine while on the road for competitions and events? Yeah, like I said, when we're training, we'll have like, I'll bring my roller with me um, so that I can roll out and like just find somewhere and stretch and do recovery moves and stuff like that. I feel like things have probably changed now. Everyone's got like their own personal trainer with them all the time. And we were lucky when, when we were on the national team, sometimes we would get a trainer coming with us, which was like a godsend because then they would like force us to do all these things, which was fabulous. But there's tons of like little things that you can bring, like a little ladder, um, a jump rope, um, bands, all of these things like do make a difference. So that's pretty wonderful what you can travel with these days. And having a snowboard bag made things a lot easier. <laughs> Hated carrying it around. Um, but yeah, it was good. Uh, how do you collaborate with your coaches and support team to tailor your training program to your unique strengths and areas for improvement? So as I said, I had honestly on my side some of the best trainers um, that I could have asked for when I was in recovery from um, Sochi from the 2014 Olympics where I had a crash. Um, I actually hired, I, 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 I think I was like, I don't know why, but I, I hired because I didn't have access to our old trainer, Matt, and he helped me recover and just knew my body. And I was totally willing to trust him and he'd seen me work out and he'd tested me before. So like he knew what I needed. And I think that's what it comes down to in the beginning is having that trust relationship with your trainer um, to like know what works in your body, what doesn't work in your body. Have everything firing properly. It was like probably the, some of the most important stuff for me. Um, and working on it and working your butt off. I mean, two times a day in the gym is not my preferred thing to do, but I mean, it makes snowboarding just that much more fun. Um, as for coaches, they would work alongside with the trainers and know what we would be doing. Um, if not, then we would just be doing it on our own. Um, 
and we would know what we were doing. <laughs> um, can you describe how your training routine evolves during the different phases of the year? I think I touched on that. So yeah, fall and uh, spring, pretty big workout times. Fall, mostly like a lot more workout time. And I didn't say summer because in the summer I would still be on snow as much as possible. So I would go down to Oregon and I would um, coach down there and then I'd be on snow for like three months. It was absolutely fabulous. Get to ride the half pipe there in the summertime. Ah, loved it. Absolutely loved it. Okay. As a professional athlete, recovery is crucial. What are some of your preferred methods? Uh for recovery after intense training sessions. Okay. What I would love, which has only come to fruition in the last little while, is a Normatec. And I've talked about this before. The Normatec is like this mm, kind of machine that you – it's like you put leggings on and then they blow up. This is for your legs, but you can do it for your arms as well. Um, and they blow up and then they like pump, circulate like your legs. Um, it's It's – such a great recovery. If you don't have that, because it's expensive. Um, ice baths are also great. My absolute nemesis though. I hate them with a fiery passion. I think because I've torn my ankles, like so many things in my ankles so many times. Like when I get in, I don't know what it is and someone can tell me I'll have to get like I'm think I know I'm gonna do like a series on like physios and and trainers and all that. So we'll discuss that. But like as soon as I get in the cold tub, my ankles are just freaking yelling at me so hard. I'm just like, get me out of here. So my first time I had uh, an ice bath was at the 2010 Olympics, and my back was bad. And so I just wanted my back in there. I did not need nor want my ankles in there. So here I was just like lounging in this tub with my feet out and my back in, my neck in and everything like that. I probably look like a, a fool, but you know, you got to do what you got to do. Recover. Um, because you want to be able to walk the next morning, especially if you have training the next day or if you have competition the next day. I mean, it there is something to be said about the ice baths and there is a reason that we all do them. Uh, now I get to go to like the Scandinav spa, which is fabulous, <laughs> and just hop into their pools and then hop out and relax and end on cold. And uh, it's it's a game changer. Do I do that in my showers? I hate it. I try not to, but you know what? I do feel better after. So there's something to be said about that. Well, I hope that this has given you a little bit more insight into my training and preparation for when I was competing. Um, as I said, we are going to be covering we. It's me and ChatGPT. So it's me and a robot AI are going to be covering a lot more um, topics. Uh, like I said, we talked about early influences and beginnings in episode 90. Episode 91 was mentorship and influences. Um and this was training and preparation. Next up, we will have challenges and triumphs. Uh, then we'll get into the Olympics. So please do stay tuned and keep dropping in with me. I really appreciate it. Um, let me know how you liked this episode and the prior ones. Write in the uh, notes. If you're on um, podcast, please just uh, click and tell me if you like it or not. Hit me up on uh, social media. You can find me on Instagram and Facebook at Dropping In With Mercedes. On Twitter, I am at Mercedes. You can always pop by my website, leave me a, a comment, or if you want 
if you think of someone awesome that I should be interviewing, let me know at droppinginwithmercedes.com. And also head over to Cryer Media website to listen to more podcasts if you're interested. That is crier.co. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I hope you've learned a lot. I feel like I just talked so much, but I had a really great time. Uh, Thanks to AI for, uh, you know, giving me the questions. Have a good day. Thanks so much for dropping in today. You can find everything you want to know about dropping in with Mercedes at droppinginwithmercedes.com. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, and YouTube. Thanks DJ Kenosis for the music and my mom for the intro voice. the host of Broadcast Dialogue, the podcast. We focus on Canada and the challenges facing Canadian radio and TV, as well as highlighting those moving the industry forward from podcasting and streaming to new broadcast tech. Check us out at broadcastdialogue.com or your favorite podcast app. Hi, this is Candace Sampson, the voice behind What She Said. My show is your destination for stories that not only entertain, but also educate and empower. Every week, I spotlight strong female voices from across Canada, women who are changing the narrative and driving change. Don't miss out on these inspiring episodes. Subscribe on Apple, Spotify, and Amazon Music, or head over to whatshesaidtalk.com. What She Said can also be heard on blasttheradio.com. Mondays at 5 p.m. and Wednesdays at 7 p.m. That's BlastTheRadio.com. It's time to dive into the stories that truly matter.